And we are in part 13 of our First Corinthians series. I entitled that series Practical Faithfulness. And, and today's message is entitled Faithful to be a Servant. And I want to begin with uh, a definition of humility. I've shared it with you before. It's not new. I didn't come up with it. it was, remember, if anything is super brilliant, I didn't come up with it, right? I ripped it off from somebody else. So the definition of humility that has always stuck with me and kind of mattered to me and made sense to me was this. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking less about yourself. The reason why that is a crucial difference is that when we hear that we are to be more humble, we think that we ought to degrade ourselves. That is incorrect. It is not honoring to the Lord to say, God, seriously, when I look at myself, you've clearly messed up and made trash. That is not honoring to the Lord at all. As a matter of fact, you can be rather impressed with what God made in you as long as it's not about you. Therefore, Try to burn that in your mind that humility is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking less about yourself. We are to be others centered, God centered. And to speak to those things, I wrote down some thoughts that I'm going to read to you because I believe that the way that they are worded is crucial. And it's something like this. Whether we are arrogant or we are insecure, whether we are overconfident or overloaded, whether we are prideful or we think no one cares about us, whether we are manic or we are depressed, we think far too much about ourselves. Other centeredness is crucial to a vibrant Christian life. And Jesus came not to be served, served, but to serve. He came as a king to wash the feet of the ordinary he sat not on a throne, but he knelt at the feet of a leper. Who then are we to be all about ourselves? Jesus did not sprinkle us in this world to set up private kingdoms and fight for resources. He did not place us in a free country to demand our rights. He put us here to love on other people, to serve other people, to sacrifice for other people, to spend our lives that they might have life. The fill in the blank on the sheet in front of you is this. We are not on this earth for ourselves alone. We are not on this earth for ourselves alone. Would you turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 9? Uh, it's page uh, 956 and the Bible's under the seats in front of you if you don't have one today. I'm going to read through chapter 9 and then it is a long chapter and we're going to go through the whole thing. Um, but we're going to go through it rather rapidly together. So let me just read through it. We'll pray for the word, tear it apart. Call it a day. Yeah, here we go. Paul said, am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I'm not an apostle, at least I am to you. For you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who would examine me. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife, as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating of any of its fruit? Who tends a flock 
without getting some of the milk. Do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. What is it for oxen that God is concerned? Does he not speak entirely for our sake? It was written for our sake because a plowman should plow in hope, the thresher thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do we not even more? Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple? Those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings. In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. But I've made no use of any of these things, any of these rights. Nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision. For I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. For necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. For if I do this of my own will, then I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I am still entrusted with a stewardship. What then is my reward? That in my preaching, I may present the gospel free of charge so as to not make full use of my right in the gospel. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew. In order to win Jews to those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law to those outside the law. I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law to the weak. I became weak that I might win the weak. I've become all things to all people that all by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run, that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we, an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly, I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and I keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Y'all know some of this stuff, right? I became all things to all men that I might save some. You know that one. All runners run, run like you, you know that, right? But there's a bunch more in there. And I think it's a groove that we might need to settle in our spirit. Let's pray for today. Heavenly Father, transform us by the power of your word. Allow not a man to speak to us, but that you would speak to us, to our hearts. May we forget what he says and remember all of what you say. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Zoom back to verse 1. Here he goes. Am I not free? Paul's not currently in chains. I mean, there's a lot of times that he'll go, well, actually today I'm not. All right? I mean, uh, today's a chain day, right? I'm, I'm in jail. I'm in prison for the gospel. But at this moment he said, am I not free? Meaning, I'm not owned by anybody. Jesus Christ set me free, and he who the Son sets free will be free indeed. We know that passage. Nobody owns me. I'm not living for anybody else. I'm living for Jesus alone. He has set me free by the cross and his power. But then the next one causes some problems. Am I not an apostle? 
A lot of people didn't think he was. And they would challenge him. Now, what's intriguing is when a teacher is nice to other people, they tend not to challenge them, right? It's when they correct somebody, then there comes a challenge. So when Paul comes in and starts laying down the law and telling people what to do, somebody goes, who do you think you are? He said, well, I think I'm an apostle. Well, I don't think you are. Now, when we think of apostles, who do we think of? We automatically think of the disciples, right? Now, how many can you name? I bet you it's only five. All right, and here's why. We know the inner three, right? Peter, James, and John. We know those guys. We're pretty cool with the Doubting Thomas guy. We got that one because he's got a nickname. And then ultimately we got one more because he was the bad guy. His name was Judas. So you check that box. Unfortunately, he died and got replaced. So uncheck your box. Do you know who replaced him? Matthias. All right. One of you gets to recheck that box. Fantastic. (laughs) Am I not an apostle? What makes someone an apostle? Well, you have to have been personally commissioned by Christ. And you have to have seen the risen Lord. Now, there's other arguments that say that you need to be able to do miracles and cast out demons, stuff like that. Heal people. Well, there's a lot of people that healed people. There's some people that saw the risen Lord. As a matter of fact, he appeared to over 500 people after he came back. Are they all apostles? They are not. Were they all commissioned by Christ and sent out by him personally and visibly? No, they are not. Was Paul? Indeed, he was. He says it in the next line. Have I not seen Jesus, our Lord? He said, man, I've already told you this story like a million times, right? I'm on the road to Damascus. I'm going to go tear apart some Christians, right? He shuts me down. I'm blinded. Do you understand that on that trip, not only did I see Jesus then, but after that, two visions, I saw Jesus, the risen Lord. I've been to the heavens to where, I mean, he's shown me all kinds of stuff. This is legitimate. Was I not personally commissioned by the risen Lord? Indeed, I was. He told me, you are the apostle to the Gentiles. Are you not my workmanship in the Lord? Meaning, seriously, if if I'm not an apostle and I didn't just set up this church, he said here in Corinth, then who are you? What are you doing here? I mean, you're this vibrant church that's moving forward. You've been saved by the grace of Jesus Christ. I got to be your spiritual father. Are you not what God is allowing me to build? He said. If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you. Other people may say, no, clearly I am to you. For you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. Here's something cool about seals. Um, If you've been in the church, this isn't new to you. In the old days... Nothing absolutely got there overnight. All right. Nowadays, we have FedEx, we have guarantee, we have insurance, we have all kinds of stuff. We have the ability to send something across the world in a very rapid fashion. Back then, it was months. If you're going to send something overseas, you're you're putting it on a boat. You have no idea who's messed with it along the way. It's now a long time later. They get the thing. They open it up. They say, dude, you sent me candlesticks. You're like, no, man, I sent you a Nintendo, right? I mean, whatever it is. And then, you know, and something got messed up in translation. So back then, the way that they would do it is they would seal things when, uh, 
When I was younger, my sister got one of those things. They were kind of in vogue in the 80s. Uh, the, remember how you would, you would light the candle and let the wax drip onto the envelope, and then you'd press down a stamp or a seal in it, you know, that kind of either had your letters on it or, I don't know, a cute puppy dog face. I don't know what it was. And you'd stamp it down, and the idea was no one can open that letter without breaking that seal. That was a guarantee that what you locked in was going to be received. Well, in the ancient world, seals were everything. They would indeed lock stuff down. And if the seal was tampered with, just like today, you know that something's wrong. Well, one of the most encouraging things that I remember reading about that is that some of them were marked with a Roman Empire seal. And if you messed with the cargo of the Roman Empire, you had the whole wrath of the Roman Empire coming after you. What I think is so beautiful is that we are marked with the Holy Spirit. And if the enemy dares mess with this cargo, he has a whole wrath of heaven coming against him. It's intriguing that when things got super important, they used multiple seals. You know, a last will and testament, the way that those were sealed in the ancient world, some of them anyway, were with seven seals. They would lock them down all the way down across the scroll. Indeed, in Revelation, what do we see but the breaking of seven seals as the last will and testament of this earth is revealed, right? Pretty cool stuff. Verse 3, he said, now all the stuff I've been arguing, this is my defense to those who would examine me like I'm in court, right? They keep going, you're not an apostle. Well, I have some facts that I am. But if indeed I'm an apostle, let me ask you a question. Verse 4, do we not have the right to eat and drink? You're like, what? That's a weird question. What do you mean? Of course, man. Here, have a cup of water. Right? What are you, what are you trying to say? No, no, no. There's an implied peace that we're not seeing. It means at the expense of the church. So let's read it again. Do we not have the right to have our basic needs provided at the expense of the church? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife at the expense of the church? As do... What? The other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas. Who are those guys? Uh, are we all clear that Jesus had brothers and sisters? Now, they're all half, right? Got a different dad, same mom, right? But he had half brothers. As a matter of fact, in the Bible, four of them are named James, Joseph, Simon, and Jude. Or Judas, which is kind of creepy. But anyway, he was probably named before that whole thing anyway. All right, so you have two brothers of Jesus, James and Jude, who happen to write two books in the Bible, right? It's most likely those guys. And, and the books of the Bible are called James and Jude. Well, that was shocking, right? I mean, it's, it's almost like rocket science, right? They did not believe in Jesus when he was around. It was not until they saw the risen brother, the risen Savior, that they got on board. And then they got all hardcore for the kingdom, uh, but there were other apostles, and it seemed like a lot of them were married, just like his brothers were. And they would travel with their wives, and they would be supported, right? In Cephas, who's Cephas? Well, that's Peter, right? He keeps mentioning him. Somehow they knew Peter pretty well. And so he said, you know he's married. Now, we know Peter was married, not just because of this, but what? Do you remember the story when it says, and they ended up in Peter's mother-in-law's house, and she had a fever, and Jesus healed her? Do you remember that? It's hard to have a mother-in-law without a spouse, right? 
So we knew he was married back. And you know, it's funny because when these guys walked with Jesus, you always assume they're all single. Isn't that funny? And they're, they're actually not. Some of them were married. Some of them were single. He said, so they all get this benefit. Oh, I see. Verse six. Is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Who's Barnabas? Well, Barnabas is Paul's buddy from back in the day. When, when, when Paul had finished doing some work, he wanted to connect with the Jerusalem church. He wanted to connect with the original disciples. They wanted nothing to do with him. You're that guy that kills Christians. Forget you. I want nothing to do with you. You might be trying to infiltrate our team. Barnabas is like, you know what? Actually, I hung out with a guy. I think he's legitimate. We've got to bring him in. I mean, you just got to meet the guy. All right, we'll do it because Barnabas says so. He was the brother of encouragement. Remember that? Barnabas and Paul ended up partnering up, and they ended up going on their first missionary journey together, which is really cool, but then they split. You remember who they split over? John Mark, who tended to go by Mark, and he wrote a book in the Bible called Mark. Right, okay. Uh, I hope you guys are tracking with, with these zingers, okay? <laughs> I'm not going to ask you who wrote Matthew. I think, I think we're pretty, pretty well locked in right about now. All right. Is it only Barnabas and I that have no right to refrain from working for a living? So they were tent makers, right? I mean, I don't know what Barnabas did, but I know what Paul did. When Paul first rolled into Corinth, he teamed up with Priscilla and Aquila. They were all tent makers. Do you understand that the Greeks hated manual labor and they thought that was lower class? I thought that that was bogus. You're supposed to be wealthy enough to have everybody do that for you. And they looked down on the lower class. Here's what's intriguing. Paul was educated at the greatest universities. He should have been upper class. What did he choose to do for a living? Lower class. Shocking. Rabbis in the Jewish world were all raised, as good Jewish boys are, in a trade. They all had a trade, so you could be a carpenter guy, you could be, you know, a, a tent maker, you could be this, you could be that. They all had a trade, and so rabbis were supposed to be able to provide for themselves. However, it was well known and taught by rabbis that the coolest thing the followers could do is to support a rabbi, right? So that way, they were all supported and they could do the ministry full time. But still, the bottom line is that Paul and Barnabas we're working their way through that. You go, well, can you work and do ministry? Sure you can. As a matter of fact, when I first got to this church, first eight months, they could not support me. I worked a full-time job, and I did this on the side. I, it's, I did this on the evenings, and I did this on the weekends, and that was just kind of my life. Um, and I completely appreciate that time in my life. Was it hard? Absolutely. Is it doable? Yeah. Paul literally worked an eight, ten-hour day, and then he would do all the ministry on the weekends and nights. He said, let's, let's be practical, verse 7. Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Is, is that really what we ask of our soldiers? Right? Hey, dude, appreciate you protecting us. So, so if you could just like fight on the weekends and at night and, and just kind of have a day job, that would be awesome so we don't have to support you. I mean, it sounds silly, right? Dude, we're defending you. What do you mean? No, you're going to go ahead and support us, right? He said, who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit or tends a flock without getting some of the milk? The point is nobody does that. It's a reciprocal benefit. It keeps you engaged. You're out there every day engaging with it. You receive something back and it goes around and around and around. That's kind of how it always goes. What do I say these things on human authority? Was this my idea? 
Wait a second, doesn't the law say the exact same thing? What's the law? The law, uh, think about it this way. It's the Mosaic law. It is portions of the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. In there, there are codes and regulations and ceremonial and ritual issues. And, and that is codified into what they call the Mosaic law. He says, as a matter of fact, quoting back there, it said the same thing. It's written in the law of Moses, Deuteronomy 25.4. You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. You guys muzzling your oxen? Is that, is that something you're wrestling with right now? Is that, what does that mean? Well, they did a lot of, it was an agricultural world, and so they would harvest the wheat and the grain and all that, and then they have to lay it on the ground. You've got to crush it so the husk and everything blows away in the wind, right? And then the grain is there on the ground. Well, how are you going to get it all crushed? I mean, you don't want to sit there and just go stamp, stamp, stamp. You're sitting there all day long, right? So they would use heavy stuff to crush it. Well, who's going to pull the heavy stuff? You're not going to do it. So largely they would have, if you were wealthy enough to have a cow, an oxen, they would have him drag what's called a sledge. A sledge is about the size of a door and it's, and it's weighted down and it crushes all the wheat and his little hooves, right? Crush, crush, crush. He's going along. Well, sure enough, they probably have him going around and around. They have him kind of tied to a middle thing. And, and he just kind of worked all day long. Well, along the way, you realize he's walking on his food. So he's like, hmm, coffee break, right? And he would just stop and um, um, eat a little bit. And then he'd keep walking. And then he'd stop. Another coffee break. Um, um, and he'd eat again. And then keep walking again, right? I really don't know the tone of his voice. I was just making it up. I have no idea how he sounded. But anyway, now there's some that would be like, dude, you're eating the profits. You're a cow. You're messing up. I can make a lot more money if I just muzzle you. If I could put something over you and then the whole time the cow's like bitter and angry, like I can totally see my food. I can't eat any of it. Right. And, and it creates all this tension. He has to work out in therapy later. And <laughs> there's a law on the books that says, don't muzzle your oxen. You will literally be excommunicated from Israel if you do. Wow, that's a pretty severe penalty. Why? Because when we get that selfish and we're all about efficiency and I want more from you and more from you and I don't care, let's keep pulling more from you. That's the wrong heart. That's not the heart of Jesus. And he said, you know what? Don't you dare do that. If you do that to animals, you're going to end up doing it to each other. He said, is it for oxen that God is concerned? As an animal lover, I would like to say, yes, he is. And the reason why is that is backed up in scripture as well, because God is concerned about animals. However, it says, does he not certainly speak for our sake? Yeah, he wrote it down. He didn't write it down. So the oxen are reading it, right? He wrote it down. So we would read it. Yeah. I mean, you know, understand he said it was written for our sake because the plowman should plow in hope of the thresher thresh in hope of sharing in the crop every day. Their heart should be in the game. You can imagine as a slave, you hear about these horrible slavery scenarios where you work a 15-hour day, you get none of the fruit of your labor. Someone just says, go back to your room. And then you come back out and do it all over again. There's an animosity there. It says, if others share, oh, excuse me, if we have sown spiritual things among you, verse 11, is it too much if we reap material things from you? Man, we're, we're here investing in you all the time. What, we can't receive a wage for that? that? That doesn't seem right. He said, if others share this rightful claim on you, other leaders, do we not even more? We're your spiritual fathers. We locked this church down. We got this thing going for you. 
Nevertheless, we have not made use of any of this right. I have not received a dime from you, he said. We endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. That phrase in Greek means to bear or pass over in silence. We suck it up and we just move on. Verse 13. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? Of course you do. Come on. If you're Jewish, you know that's how the temple runs. The priests eat off the blessing to the church. The Levites live off the tithes of the church. And the pagan temples, of which I went back and did research, in Corinth alone, there's no less than 17 temples and shrines. They know that even the pagan world runs this way. That they all end up making their money off doing the ministry. That's kind of how it rolls. So why is it different in Paul and Barnabas's case? In the same way, the Lord commanded Jesus. Commanded. It's written down. Matthew 10, 10, Luke 10, 8, right? That those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. Those are stories like when he sent out them two by two. He said, don't carry any extra stuff. Why? Because you're going to go out and do ministry and they're going to pay you for it. They're going to support you. Okay? There's a time when he said the worker is worthy of his wages. Those kind of things. Right? So Jesus locked this down. So let me, let me ask you a quick question. Is anybody bothered by the idea that the church staff makes their living by tithes and offerings? Uh, I'll tell you from our side of things, it is weird. Um, the whole idea that our friends and family are providing for us is strange. There's a lot of us that we just avoid the offering entirely, right? We just, when it starts coming back around, we just run the other way, right? Because we don't want to make it look like we're looking in there going, what's in there, right? You know? There's been so much abuse throughout the years that we're so afraid of, of ever being questioned about that. Um, you know, and you say, I'll just say this last practical thing, you know, um, you understand that I would do this for free. It's, it's what I do um, just by the nature of who I am. I did it for free before. I'd do it for free again. You said, well, Lance, then why the heck are we paying you? Um, <laughs> amen. Yeah, that was an elder. Praise the Lord. <laughs> but it's John, so I don't take it seriously. All right, we move on. Um, here's, the, here's the fact of the matter. Uh, does the staff need to get paid? They do not. However, uh, we just need to change how ministry is done. So you, we just have to re-rack everything. You're cer we're certainly not going to do it the way we're doing it. That can only be done if somebody is full-time or part-time and you have a staff. Other than that, you actually have to go old school and bare bones, and there's actually not going to be any of the stuff that you are currently dealing with. We'll have to break it all down, and we'll move it into homes and stuff like that. I mean, that's really how it has to go. It, so it's more of a practical decision of saying, how do we want ministry to run? Do you want people to be focusing on things directly, or do you want them to be focusing on their job and then kind of doing it on the side? It's a practical piece. Let me ask you this. Why, why did Paul not take a wage from the Corinthians? I mean, he had every right to do it. He just listed it out. I mean, he has a right to get it. Why didn't he? Well, here's what's funny. He ultimately did receive a wage, but he didn't receive it from the Corinthians. Here was his model. It's, it's rather unusual. Um, Paul was supported and mentions four to five churches he was supported by in Scripture. So he was always being supported but he wasn't supported by the church he was currently ministering in. Why? Because he was 
an evangelist. He was a missionary. He was breaking new ground. And what that means is he's walking in and sharing the gospel for the first time. Let me ask you this. You have a friend you want to share the gospel with. So you decide and say, hey, dude, is there any chance we can maybe go get a drink together? We can go get some coffee. I really want to talk to you about something. And on that meeting, you sit across the table from him and you go, hey, I really want you to know that I'm concerned about your eternal salvation. And I really want to talk to you for a moment. I don't know how much you know about Jesus Christ, but I happen to be a believer. And I want to encourage you that he has died for you, that your sins might be cleansed, that you might be whole. And understand, you're never going to get to heaven by being good, only by being perfect. And the only one that can clean you up like that is Jesus. And you know what? Before we go any further, do you have a tent on you? Would anybody do that? Okay, here's what happens. Real quick, do this for me. If anyone ever does that to you, just reach across and punch them in the face, right? Just do that for me, okay? If someone if someone tries to share the gospel with you and then ask for money from you, just hit them really hard, all right? Okay, no, you don't do that. That's not right. So in the same way, Paul's breaking this new ground and he said, you know what? I'm not going to ask money from you right now. We have to keep things clean. We need to be talking about Jesus. You know who I'm going to receive help from? All the churches that are already established, that they already are growing and they already know what's going on. They're a part of the whole plan. They're part of the family. They're backing me up so I can go into new regions. That's why Paul didn't. And why wouldn't you want to do that? Well, I mean, there's simple things, right? Back then, religious leaders had a bad reputation. Of course, they don't today, right? (laughs) And he didn't want to be a part of that. I mean, also, he wanted independence. I mean, he wants to be able to say, you know what? Don't say that I said this to you or you think you can, what, fire me because you, what, pay my salary? I didn't take anything from you. If I need to lay into you, if I need to correct you, if I need to discipline you, I'm going to bring it. I don't care. You didn't support me. He wanted that independence. And he never wanted anyone to question whether or not he was doing it for the money. It's only the mature that can handle that. You understand? All right, he moves on. Verse 15. But I have made no use of any of these rights. Nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision. I'm not trying to ask you guys for money, he said. For I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. Don't take away my opportunity to go above and beyond for Jesus. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. You're like, what? I thought you were pretty good at that kind of thing. Shouldn't you be proud of that? No, he said, necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. He said, I don't think you guys get this. You may be able to choose and say, hey, maybe I should be a preacher. Dude, I was walking along a road. I got shut down by God personally. He blinded me. I'm walking, holding on to some guy's hand, going into a city. Some Christian prays for me. Scales fall from my eyes. God tells me that I'm his enemy. I fall on my face in front of him. He tells me I'm going to go preach. Literally, audible voice from heaven tells me I'm going to go be the apostle of the Gentiles. And you think I have a choice? I mean, ultimately, in my heart, it is, Paul, you will preach or I will kill you. 
That's it, man. I mean, it's, it wasn't my idea. I didn't come up with that. I'm not getting extra credit for that. If I do it in my own will, that's fine. I'll get a reward. But if it's not my idea, I still am entrusted with stewardship. I'm still going to be held accountable. What then is my reward? What then do I get credit for? That in my preaching, I may present the gospel free of charge so as to not make you full use of my right in the gospel. You guys, I... I get my extra credit about the fact that I can walk in there and I can suffer on your behalf, he said. Don't take that away from me. Let me ask you this. Do you get credit, try to get credit from God for everything you do? I mean, we tend to do that, right? I mean, it's this, God, I prayed yesterday. A little something here, right? I read the Bible and it was the boring part. So, I'm just saying. <laughs> Here's likely God's response, although I'm not speaking on his behalf. I would assume that his response is something like, oh, actually, you prayed because you're a whiner. And, <laughs> and you talked to me because you thought you were going to get something. And I'm not giving you credit for that. You are actually praying because you need that to survive. And you're actually reading my word because that's man does not live uh, by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And so quite frankly, I think you're feeding you. So no, I'm not giving you extra credit. Am I, am I happy that you're trying to be healthy? Yeah, I am. Good for you. <laughs> but I'm... But I'm not giving you an extra gold star. Okay, everybody cool on the gold star thing? When I was growing up, right, and, and once again, we're not all my age, right? But when I was growing up, gold stars were it, man. I mean, you always have a little chart. And then the chart, it was like all the kids' names, and then they would put, there was little boxes. And then you'd get a literal gold star right there. And what was awesome is you could tell that you were way ahead of Billy, right? Because he was, he was like, his stars were lame. They were way back here, and we were over here. I think that in our minds, we think that everything that we do that is healthy or good, we get a gold star for it. And then we end up doing it for that reason. And I don't think that's appropriate. Paul said in verse 19, for though I am free from all, I'm free in Jesus. I've made myself a slave to all. I choose to be all about you. I choose to be about the world. I choose to submit myself to what God wants me to do. I have the freedom to do whatever I want. I'm choosing to do it God's way all the time. I've made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, still speaking of the Jews, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. How does a Jew become Jewish? Right? He is a Jew. He said, I became like the Jews. Dude, you're already a Jew kind of works like that no he's talking about an activity here's what he's speaking of he said i know what i'm free from i know what my victory is i know where i'm christian i know where uh the messiah has allowed this in my life however when i minister to the jews i dive back into their mindset so for example paul did a nazarite vow did he need to do a nazarite vow no Yes, when he shaved off all his hair before he took off, he actually took four Nazarites to the temple, paid for their purification rites, and was involved with them in their process. As a matter of fact, he had Timothy get circumcised just so they could go minister to the Jews without any 
hitch. Timothy's like, dude, he will go to the nth degree, I swear to you, to minister to the Jews. I was an adult, man, and that's not cool, all right? Paul said, when it comes to ceremonial washing and dietary restrictions, if I'm trying to minister to them, I'm going to get into their world. You know what? I'm not trying to offend them, so I'm going to roll with that. Do I need to do that for God to approve of me? No, that's not the point. To those outside the law, to the Gentiles. I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, of course, but I'm under the law of Christ, he said, that I might win those outside the law. When when I hang with the Gentiles, I'm not going, oh, is that bacon? Is that on your your Cobb salad right there? Is that what that is? Um, He said, you know what? You just roll with it, man. Food is food. And that's cool. I I can do that. That's fine. All right. Not eating the spam, but I'm, <laughs> I just have a patty. <laughs> okay, to the weak I became weak that I might win the weak. Weak like what? Like conscience weak? Like immature weak? Or economically weak? We don't know. But the bottom line is he says I get into their shoes wherever they're at. That by all means, excuse me, he said I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. That does not mean caving. It does not mean compromise. What it means is, is that if you are free in Jesus, you walk alongside someone and you quit putting obstacles in their way. It means you engage in their world and you speak in language that they understand. You live lives that they understand and you walk with them. And you say, what do you mean that you might save some? You don't save anybody. Jesus saves people. Hold on. Here's this picture, right? You got a Jesus life preserver. The life preserver is going to save him, right? And you sling out the life preserver. Hey, you're dying. Hang on to Jesus. I'll pull you in. Hey, hang on to Jesus. I'll pull you in. He's talking about rescue, right? That's what he's trying to do. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. Are there blessings of the gospel? He said, I want to see transformation. Then he closes it with this. Do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? Well, run like you can obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things, and they do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable one. What's he talking about? Just 11 miles from Corinth is Ismia. Ismia held the Ismian Games, second only to the Olympics. Huge deal. Every two years, thousands of people would flock to the area, flood Corinth with all their money. They'd come in. All the athletes would go in. The athletes arrive a year earlier, and they go into strict training for one full year. One of the writers at the time wrote, if you want to be an athlete, be prepared for your life to stink right? It's going to be brutal. You don't get to eat what you want to eat. You don't get to do what you want to do. You are under strict training and they would train to do something they would not normally be able to do. He said, you know, they had boxing, they had running, they had all these different kinds of things. And he said, and they're doing it for this dorky little like pine wreath thing that ultimately is going to dry out. and You can't even save it anyway. At some point it's going to disintegrate. So seriously, they'd put all this effort into something that's going to go away. And we're not willing to work on our spiritual lives for something that's eternal? That didn't make sense. Wow. I don't run aimlessly. I don't box as one beating the air. I'm not wasting my time. 
When I train, I train right. I go all in. I focus. I discipline my body and I keep it under control. That word in Greek means I make it black and blue. I'll go hardcore to make sure I bring my drives and desires under control. Why? Lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Here's, here's the fact as we close out. Although we must align ourselves with God, right? I mean, there's a lot in the Bible about working on yourself. I mean, I get it. Man, you got a spiritual discipline here and you got to work on this. And man, I got to get rid of some of this sin. I got to add this into my life. And, and I really got to heal from my past because I got all kinds of issues rising up. And then I got to worry about this. And I got to worry about that. And I got to fix this and fix that, right? I mean, I see it. Here's the problem with it all. That's only the beginning of the journey. For many of us, that is our entire spiritual lives. Fixing yourself. Actually, the way it's designed is you're supposed to front load that part, get things in line, bring your body under submission, rest up, heal up, lock in so that the majority of your life you're able to look at other people. You don't get to be perpetual victim for the rest of your life. Get in, lock it down, push hard, take it seriously, and then get your eyes off yourself. Spend the majority of your life looking at everybody else. Hey, how are you doing? Not, hey, I have another prayer request. How are you doing? You all right? You okay? Do I need to shield you? Do I need to protect you? Do I need to pray for you? That's the ideal. 